Today's episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com slash motherbirth for an exclusive one month free trial just for motherbirth listeners. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Motherbirth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everyone, welcome to Motherbirth today. Lara and I are here and we are recording with a really special guest that we're excited about. Heather Avis is a mom who is also the author of a book called The Lucky Few, and she has adopted three kids, two of which have Down syndrome. So we're going to get into her story and really specifically into what her motherhood journey has looked like today. So uh, Heather, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and then we'll dive in. Sure. Um, Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. So I am mother to three kids. And prior to being a mom, I was a education specialist. So I taught special education at the high school level. And um, since becoming a mom, I was staying home full time until about three years ago when I wrote my first book, which kind of catapulted me into a career. So I am still navigating Mm -hmm. being home full time, working full time, trying to figure that game out. Um, And I live in Southern California, three kids, they're nine almost seven and four, two girls and a boy. And like you said, they're all adopted. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's kind of dive into the adoption piece. Obviously you have three adopted children and that is a a big part of your motherhood story and a big part of your heart. Can you tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in adoption? Was that something you always knew you wanted to do? Was there some, some, you know, series of events or a moment as an adult that really awakened you to that desire? What did that look like for you? Sure. I knew I wanted to be a mom. That was a given and adoption wasn't off the table, but I thought my story would go something like have a couple of kids naturally and then adopt Hmm. if ever. And I don't know how I had kids naturally, if I ever would have followed through with the idea of adoption. Um, Adoption sort of forced itself upon me in all the best ways. So my husband and I, when we decided to start a family, quickly found out, well, quickly is a relative term when you're trying to get pregnant. It feels like an eternity. So it took us about a year of trying to realize something was up and then found out after that, that I just, um, for a lot of different reasons, was not going to be able to have children naturally. And that put us on the crossroads of either IVF, which is in vitro fertilization, which we hadn't tried, um, or adoption. And at that season in our lives and after just the whirlwind and the roller coaster emotionally that we had been on to hear that news, um, we were not going to pursue in vitro fertilization. And adoption was our only option to becoming parents. And at the end of the day, we wanted to be parents. Um, And so there was a definitely a mourning process there, um, mourning the loss of my fertility. It entails a lot of emotions and like mental and spiritual and emotional digging in and, 
and having to come to grips with that and then um, moving past it. And so... Heather, do you mind me asking why um, you guys didn't go the IVF route? I feel like people... Uh, that's a really difficult choice. So I just kind of want to hear what how y'all made that decision. Sure. You know, I have to be super honest and tell you I answer this really delicately because I've been on the side of um, an option to choose that. Um, there's So there were two reasons that held, that we held equally at the time. The first was up until that point, um, figuring out my infertility diagnosis was so invasive. And as crass as this sounds, the thought of like opening my legs for another strange man, like there's no way I'm going to lay on another table and do this and what it would require of me physically and emotionally um, to even try IVF. I, there, I just could not have handled it. It was too much. I was maxed out. Um, there's a moral piece as well that my husband and I feel strongly about, but we feel strongly about that for us. We don't look at other people making a choice to do IVF in any kind of a judgmental way. Um, but there's that Absolutely. moral piece just for the two of us that we, that made us decide that made IVF mm-hmm. a non-option. So yeah, does that make sense? Absolutely. I think it's so complex, yeah. like you said, and I think a lot of people, and I just, I wanted to ask because I feel like society kind of makes it this reductionist, like either you want to do it or you don't, or, you know, and it's like, it's kind of just up to you. It's like, if you're open to adoption, maybe you won't choose that. But in reality, I feel like it is so complex because like you said, you might have personal beliefs morally, but also I totally hear what you're saying as far as the opening yourself up to that process. And we've had women come on the the show and share about yeah. even just the emotional roller coaster that you open yourself up to with that process. But and another piece that's rarely talked about other than just in references, what a ginormous mm-hmm. cost it is to you mm-hmm. financially and how that can really set set yourself up in a relationship and a, and put you on a different path and, yeah. and things that you might have wanted in your relationship in general. So thanks for sharing that. I think it's a really difficult decision to make, especially when you're making that decision on the tail of also hearing, you know, it looks like your fertility right. journey is right. over unless you choose these other options. Yeah, definitely. And the financial was absolutely an aspect. I mean, in the conversations we had, cause we didn't dismiss it right away. We talked about it for sure. My husband and I, and part of the conversation was, look, if we're going to spend a, a similar amount of money for an adoption or for IVF, one of them has a guaranteed outcome for the most part of a baby in our arms, That's what I was yeah, gonna which say. is adoption. Yeah. IVF, it doesn't guarantee that. So at the end of the 20 absolutely. or 30 grand or whatever it's going to cost, we will have a baby in our arms guaranteed one way. And for us, right. that was the ultimate goal. Yeah. It might take a while. Like the, there's not a guaranteed timeline with adoption, but you know, unless they find out that you're, you know, psychopaths or something, right. you know, <laughs> are able to adopt a baby at, you know, at some point in time. So yeah, that's definitely a factor. And I, I, I know that there are people who, you know, who, who choose, who they feel so strongly about, you know, wanting to, to try that, you know, the method that would allow them to birth a baby themselves, but other people that are like, no, like I am just, this, this is absolutely a better fit for us. So I thank yeah. you again for being honest with us. Of course. That. Yeah. Of course. So you guys decide to pursue adoption and that's the path, you know, you're going to go down. What, what are the, what are the steps that came after that for you? Um, the next step was how the heck do we do this? Because it, there's so many ways you can adopt and, trying to figure out what would work best for us. Um, at the time we were, we were sure we wanted a healthy infant and certain 
forms of adoption or certain routes can lead you to that and others pretty much won't. And so a private adoption is your most likely opportunity to get a healthy infant. So we met with a family we, um, who we had heard of through a, a coworker of mine who had adopted and ended up in their home. It was only people we knew who had adopted and they told us their whole journey and they had two little boys, both of whom they adopted from an agency in Los Angeles, California, a private agency. And, um, at the time we had decided knowing that I was going to stop working once we had kids and we'd been trying for a few years, we'd been saving money. And so we had enough money to do a private adoption. Um, and so we went that route and we did the whole, all the paperwork. I mean, adoption's a wild, a wild journey and there's lots and lots of paperwork involved and, um, it's invasive in the sense of they know everything about you. So my husband and I are super, yeah, we're really transparent, open people. So that didn't feel hard for us, but I'm sure for some people that feels really hard. Um, and if you're transparent and open, it doesn't mean that that's not still a, there's, it's, there's still effort and there's still, you know, courage that it takes. Like, even if you are 100% committed to that and that's the kind of person you are, it doesn't mean that it's, it's easy every day to show up to that. Right. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And there's just so many unknowns, but one of the things I really learned is I think that, but when you get that baby in your arms at an adoption, all those unknowns could, could also be the unknowns. If you're pregnant, um, you just don't know, you never know until that baby's in your arms, what you're going to get. And then all that can change in 10 years or whatever, you know? And yeah. so, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a really emotional process, and it takes a long time. And we so we did all our paperwork, jumped through all the hoops, did all the classes, and then we were an official waiting family. And one of the wildest parts of adoption, we've adopted three times and done this two of the three because our third was different circumstances. Um, you have a checklist of things you will and won't accept in a child, which is different than if you are giving birth naturally. Right. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I mean, people can choose to terminate a pregnancy based on certain information, but Mm -hmm. it it is different. And so it's, it's literally like four pages long and you're saying yes or no, or maybe to every health condition you can imagine. And then a hundred you've never heard of. And it's a wild process. Um, so we said, no, we said yes to a healthy baby. That's what we wanted. We were open to race. We were open to gender. We were open to like a handful of medical issues that seemed, um, manageable and not long term. And that was our paperwork turned in. And then um, it's a very long story, but we ended up finding out randomly that there were two babies with Down syndrome placed in our agency, placed with our agency. And as soon as we heard heard that, um, there was like an instant, I I describe it as like a spark in my heart Mm -hmm. towards this idea of a baby with Down syndrome. Um, but I didn't want that. <laughs> I really didn't want to, to listen to my heart. And i my husband and I are both people of faith. And so we feel like God was really just like whispering in our ear mm-hmm. about these babies. And, and I mean, I don't know how much detail we go into. You can ask questions, but very long story short, we end up adopting one of the two. Um, and she, I, all of a sudden down syndrome was a back burner issue because she had a congenital heart defect that would re- require open heart surgery. And, she had a serious lung condition that required her to be on oxygen 24 seven and take multiple medications. And 
my husband and I just looked at each other like, what are we doing (laughs) when this was not on the list? And again, it's one thing if you birth that child, then that's your kid, right? And you do anything in the world for that child. But when you have the opportunity to say no, and chances are in a week, a birth mother could choose us to parent her perfectly healthy Mm -hmm. child. Um, It's just a, it's a wild decision to have to make, but thank God we kept stepping towards our little girl. And then she came Mm -hmm. home. She was three months old, October 29th, 2008. She came home. So when you found out that she, when you found out about this opportunity, these, these two babies that had Down syndrome, did you also at that time know about the congenital heart defect and the lung issue? Or was that information that came later? That was information that came later because when we heard about the babies with Down syndrome, they weren't being presented to us. It was a side, a side conversation. And, um, so we thought we didn't even say anything to our social worker until we had taken some decent time to process it. And Mm -hmm. then we said something to her. And at that point, one of the two had already been placed in another home and that baby didn't have any, didn't have a congenital heart defect or other issues. And the other baby who would end up being our daughter, they had just found out about her heart defect. They didn't know at birth, which is like a long, complicated story. And then they had uh, found out other medical issues, which later, three years later, we found out that they didn't think she was going to live. She was very, very sick. So they weren't even looking at placing mm-hmm. her in a home. And then, um, so she just was said, told us, yeah, the one baby's in place. The other baby, we just found out some issues. And so we're not looking at placement right now. Are you interested in Down syndrome? And we're like, I guess so. And that was that. And then mm-hmm. it was about six weeks later, she called and said they had a better understanding of the baby's health conditions. Do we want to find out more? Um, and that's when we found out all of the health stuff that we would be dealing with. Wow. So you're, you were opening yourself up on so many different levels to all yes. of these, like you said, all of these unknowns, <laughs> these things that like, you know, something like Down syndrome, maybe you have a sense of how that plays out generally speaking for a child, mm-hmm. but you know, these different health conditions when you add that all together, it's like there, there's just this huge unknown how did you guys feel like taking her home? Did you feel like this was something that was potentially temporary, you know, based on her health? Like how did, how did you, how did you feel about it? Yeah. Um, once we, the, all of those feelings came up prior to making the actual decision to adopt her. So from the time we went to the meeting and got all the information about her health, it was about two weeks of up and down, back and forth. You know, it was so emotional like, yes, we'll adopt her. No, no way. There's no way we can do this. Just back and forth, back and forth. And what, and that was where all the processing really took place. Um, there was a really pivotal moment for us. We had met with her cardiologist and hoping that he'd be, he'd be like, it's, she's going to be fine. Like the surgery will fix it all and everything's good. And he's like, Hey, look, but at the appointment, he's like, Hey, look, this baby's really sick. And yes, we can fix her heart defect, but her lung condition's really serious and it may never go away. And you just need to know that you may just be looking at, you know, care of best care of life and she could live to be five or eight, you know, it's really serious. And so my husband and I left there just like completely devastated because we were hoping to say yes to adopting her. Um, and I just had this real clear picture of, you know what, if we were to give birth to a child and know that that child was only, only going to live a few years but it was our child, we'd do it a hundred times, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. think, I I thought of my friends or my sister who has kids and I thought about like the people, like my nieces and nephews and thought if that child 
let's say they died at five years old, which is so tragic. And I knew that before having that child, of course I would take those five years. I mean, what an Mm -hmm. honor. And so there was this overwhelming feeling of this would be an honor and a privilege to get to parent this child for however many days she's going to live. Um, and so once we said that final, yes, then it was pretty joyful. Like it was, we had a baby shower and she came home and homecoming day was really lovely. And, and, um, that deep, deep desire I had to be a mom was totally fulfilled and she did that. (laughs) And so there I was a mom and our lives, I'm sure, well, I know were very different than most of our friends having their first baby. And we were, you know, our first full day as parents, we had a appointment with her heart surgeon to schedule open heart surgery. And one month later she has open heart surgery. But at the same time, as our first kid, this is all we knew. So it was our normal. And we just did it because that's what you do as moms, right? You just do it. Yeah. Oh, Heather, I want to ask you, <laughs> as you are kind of making this decision, opening yourself up to first, first Down syndrome, second, these, you know, these major health issues, how are you engaging your community? How are you sharing this with your parents, with your sister? Mm-hmm. How are you kind of pitching, pitching the idea for lack of a better term and saying, hey, we're going to make this decision. You know, tell us what mm-hmm. you think. Right. Such a great question. So we have, my husband and I are both very blessed to have families that we're close to. Um, my parents are both like mentors in my life and in my husband's life. And we have a really tight knit at the time and still um, friend group. And we had been through all this infertility stuff and everyone in our family and friends had been there with us every step of the way. They were with us every step of the way with the adoption. So when it came time for this, it was, I mean, we, we presented it to everybody and, um, and it was a different reaction than if we said, Hey, we're pregnant. I mean that mm-hmm. I remember in trying to get pregnant, like planning that announcement, right? Like, oh, I'm going to have my positive pregnancy test and how will we do this announcement? And the longer it took to get yeah. pregnant, the idea of that announcement was back, became better and better and better. And then having to let go of that idea. And then there was this idea of, okay, that's okay we're going to get the call, right? And our social worker is going to call and we're going to say, we're getting a baby and everyone's going to freak out. It's going to be so fun and amazing. And we had to let go of that because we had to say to people, so there's this baby, however. Um, And every conversation had this heavy, like, however to it. Um, But everyone in in our lives had, because they had journeyed with us and because they know that we are of sound mind, they were just like, yeah, well, we're here for you. We'll pray for you. What do you think? Um, nobody tried to sway us strongly either way. And, um, I think that was a real gift. We never had someone say, this is a terrible idea. What are you doing? And I know a lot of people have adopted kids with down syndrome and have had family members and loved ones say, this is a terrible idea. You're going to ruin your lives. So I'm super thankful for our family and friends in that scenario. Absolutely. I mean, I can imagine, I just hear that arc of kind of your process of what you thought your quote unquote normal would look like. And it sounds like your community was already on that journey with you. Mm-hmm. Which Definitely. I think is, again, kind of as we're, we're talking about these decisions that you're making is they're decisions that you're making based upon information that you're giving and experiences that you're having. Mm-hmm. And I think some people's inclination in those things is to kind of keep that private. And, and I think that's okay too. I think, you know, in this age of full disclosure, sometimes we do, need to protect ourselves a little bit, but then Mm -hmm. you you had also been bringing them along on the journey that you were, had been on up to that point. And so I'm, you know, I hope that if people listen, that they feel encouraged by that because then it wasn't like, 
hey, so we've really been thinking about, um, hey, just so you know, I can't have a baby. Hey, just so you know, like it's not one conversation that you're having um, that we're actually thinking about adopting. And actually, we just found out that we're going to adopt this baby that has major health issues. And right. Down syndrome. <laughs> so yeah. I think in those ways, like the people in your life obviously know you and know your capacity and also have the capacity to understand you and support you. But I, think, I have definitely heard what you just shared as well. I've heard, I had people even just about fostering babies or adopting babies. Mm. Like you absolutely can't do that. You have no idea what that kid will be like because, you know, you know, I've, I've heard this horrible story about so-and-so who adopt, who had a foster kid and they were in their life. It's like, well, I mean, we all, to, to some extent, like you said, it's like the second your mother, her journey begins, that child is also on their own journey. Mm-hmm. It's like you can have your own biological child who ends up having whatever, you know, yeah. terminal cancer whatever. at six or right. a major mental health issue in their teenage years. Or you, you can't, there's no crystal ball to what your parenting journey is going to look like so and what true. your kid is going to look like. Sure. So, well, the idea that one kind of kid is, is more worth raising yes. and parenting than another kind of kid. You know, it's like, well, no, I that's love what you said about that. Like you would be privilege is yours, no exactly. matter what, what the outcome is, the privilege is yours. I think that that's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. I think that what both of you are saying is just, it's so incredibly powerful. And I think I face that all the time in my journey as a mother, whenever, whenever I'm facing any challenge with my kids and I have an almost nine year old, you know, we're like going through the stage right now where he's lying to us. And you have these moments where you're like, oh my gosh, is he, is he going to be a sociopath or is he going to be this? And, and if you had those, you know, if you were hearing this about a foster kid, you would go, oh my gosh, what a nightmare, you know, but it's like, it's your own kid. And so you, you accept that this is part of your journey. I mean, sometimes you don't, sometimes you freak out and you, you know, you have all, all, all of the worries that you have, but you really do truly accept that like, this is my child and this is what we have to go through together. Definitely. And, and even dealing with a tiny baby, like the amount of stories I hear from women who have had a baby with Down syndrome and the horrific things that people tell them about their child's future. Um, it's like, you're looking at a tiny baby. You can't predict that, you know, like you Mm -hmm. can't say that this kid is never going to do A, B, C, and D. It's a tiny baby. So let's like, let's prepare ourselves for what could be, but let's assume the best about what's going to happen here and proceed. And like just that power of love, you know, I, our daughter, when she had her open heart surgery, her surgeon was so amazing. And after within the first 24 hours and he's talking right after and we're like, what can we do? And he said, honestly, I've been doing this for however many years, like for a lifetime. And the most powerful healing tool with a, with an infant is love. So you just go in there and you talk to her and you sing to her. And when you can, you hold her and that's, what's going to heal her. And I'm like, dude, this man's like a heart surgeon. <laughs> and, right. and that's what he's noticed to be more powerful than anything else. And I think that we need to remember that when we're stepping, like, I think, especially in an adoption foster care, you know, like we just got to love on, on these kids and trust the power of love. Hmm. That is, that is so beautiful, especially coming from like, you know, like you said, that this very like clinical or medical perspective, like you expect him to tell you that, you know, it's, it's going to be some sequence of, of details or events that's going to make the difference. And yet it's really just your presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So true. It It was really awesome to hear that. Yeah, it's beautiful. So you guys, and your oldest daughter, her name is Macy. Is that correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you bring Macy home. Um, What does it look like to settle into, into life once some of these, you know, kind of acute issues on the front end have not, 
you know, not resolved, but, you know, once you get to a point where it's like, okay, this is, um, you know, she's with us, we kind of have, you know, we kind of know what life looks like a little bit. Um, you know, once the, the stuff with her heart defect was, was, um, you know, wrapped up, what did, what did it look like to settle into life? And then, and then also I'd love for you to lead into how you guys decided to adopt again. Definitely. Um, I think it looked like what it looks like for most parents. I mean, it was all pretty normal for what, for the cards that we were holding. Um, and it was dreamy. Like I said, my, my deep desire to be a mom was fulfilled. And I, and I, this little girl was incredible. And she was like one of those really easy babies too, like Mm -hmm. a really good sleeper and a really good eater, um, hardly ever fussed. And part of that was her medical her medical conditions, like she was a little more worn out than other babies would be. Mm. Um, but we also were a little bit ignorant to recognize that she just seemed happy and, and pretty chill. Yeah. And so we just, um, proceeded as normal and kids with down syndrome are often offered services. So she had occupational therapy and physical therapy and an early start teacher, um, once or twice a week. So we constantly had people in and out of the house or we would go to therapies and her reality was just a ton of doctor's appointments. And, um, thankfully I was staying home full time and she was our first and only. And so there was tons of capacity and margin to make all of that work. Um, and like I said, she was a good sleeper. So we weren't just exhausted and sleep deprived. Hmm. So it, I'm sure. And I know now, cause I have other children that it looked much different than what most people's day-to-day looked like or month-to-month but for the most part it felt pretty normal yeah we went to the park we did play dates we went out to eat we went on vacation like we did all the things that we would do if she didn't have down syndrome if she didn't have medical issues yeah we couldn't fly on airplanes because of her because of her oxygen but um but the thing was so she did her heart surgery it was great and then she still needed oxygen and then um we would go every six months to a pulmonologist to look at her lungs. And every six months she'd say, yeah, it's still there. It was called pulmonary hypertension. Um, you know, we'll see you in six months. And on December 15th, 2010, Macy was two and a half years old. And the pulmonologist opened the door at the appointment and said, her, her pulmonary hypertension is gone. Take her off her oxygen. Oh, wow. Um, it was, and it was, (laughs) I mean, it was unreal. It was, I mean, I, I, like, I can tell you the date, December 10th, or December 15th, 2010. And I'm not very good with dates, but we don't forget those things. And, um, it was just like this front row seat to a miracle and she was our little miracle. And so from that day on, she's been off of oxygen. We weaned her off her medication. We see pulmonology every two years. And Mm -hmm. so this little baby who was looked at as so sick and probably wouldn't live very long. Um, she's nine years old. She'll be 10 in June and she's totally healthy, super sassy, like just thriving. She's just thriving in life. Um, and she is the gift of our life. I mean, we don't love her more than our other kids, but she just changed the trajectory of our lives and changed our perspective on life in such a drastic way. Hmm. Um, she is just absolutely the gift of our lives. Wow. So when she was around three, it was after she got off oxygen, um, we decided to pursue another adoption And I always wanted three kids for some reason. That was my number. I'm one of three kids. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the next round, because the first round we were really um, quite narrow minded in how we were going to grow our family through adoption. And, 
And we ended up with this baby who on paper, we had said no to so much of what she represented. And it was just the greatest decision we ever made. And so our next adoption, we were just arms wide open. We'll take any baby in the whole wide world. Um, we went with our local county in California and, and around the nation, but I don't know what if, if it's called a county adoption or not, but a county adoption is free of charge, which was the right price at the time because I'd been yeah. home full time. We had one income and um, we did all that process and paperwork and it's pretty similar private or, or not the paperwork aspects pretty similar. Um, and then about a year and a half later, so maybe we started the process. I don't know. The timing here is not great, but when Mason was, or I don't remember it perfectly when Macy was around three and a half, uh, we got a phone call about a little girl, um, with some health, some family history concerns, mm. but she was totally healthy. No drug exposure in utero, which is like a, unheard of when you're doing the county adoption right. and no health issues and no special needs were we interested. And she was around four and a half months old when they called us and she came home a month later. Um, we named her truly truly's birth mother is Guatemalan and we did a DNA test. And so birth father's African-American. Um, and so that opened the door of raising a child outside our race. I'm Caucasian as is my mm. husband and our eldest daughter. And that was fun. It's fun bringing another kid home (laughs) (laughs) and wild. And one of the best things about adoption is um, like my body's not jacked, right? Like you bring your baby home and my body's not jacked and my hormones aren't all all out of whack. And so I'm not as tired. Tired. (laughs) At least for my, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, she came home. And then she rocked our world because we had done like down syndrome and health issues and doctors and all those things that seem like they would be all consuming. And, um, truly is the type of girl who will change the world. And those characteristics will serve her well when she's in her twenties and thirties. But as a child, as a toddler, it's just exhausting. Mm. Um, so she is like, like you show her, she's like, where's the line here? And then you show her where the line is. And then she like puts her toe over and then gives you a look like, now what are you going to do? That's kind of her personality. Yeah. And she's bouncing off the walls. And I mean, Mason, Macy, our eldest took her first step. She was almost three years old and truly took her first step at nine months old. And by 10 months, she's like running. Um, they were just so different. And I think a lot of people have multiple kids, right? Like you think, oh, this is how exactly. it is to parent. Exactly. And then your second kid comes, you're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what it means to parent. <laughs> and that was definitely my experience. She was, she is a lot of energy for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> and rocked my world. How was the dynamic between the two girls? Um, it was really sweet. It was really sweet. Macy loved being a big sister. As they've gotten older, um, truly for sure inserts herself as a big sister role. Mm -hmm. And so there's like constant in his personality, their personality types are that truly, like I said, it's just this natural born leader. And Mason is definitely a follower and Mason or or this Macy is like, she's an observer and truly is like an actions person. Mm -hmm. And so, um, just by personality, we have to remind both of them like, yes, you can be a leader, but don't forget Macy is the oldest and she is the biggest sister and let her be big sister to you. And it's good to be little sister, you know, but they, they get along 
very well and of course have their little sibling instances from time to time sibling fights or whatever you want to call them (laughs) bickering yeah yeah i'm i'm so curious what it's like you know for truly as she is because the the age difference between them is three and a half years you said right and so Mm -hmm. just you know on a developmental level like as as some you know, as some things shift and as truly gets older, you know, and has like certain perspectives that are maybe different than Macy's. Like, I'm, I'm just curious how you see that evolving over time and how it affects the two of them. Yeah. I think, um, the first couple years, everything kind of proceeds as would to be expected with the, with children with that age gap. Um, and then truly starts surpassing Mason in a lot of milestones. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'll continue to do that. That's just how it's always going to be. Is she, um, is she acutely aware fine. of that? I mean, yes and no. Like she's aware of it, but again, this is mm-hmm. her normal. And so she holds it differently, I think would be a good yeah. way to say that. Um, she knows like she's a really good reader and Mason's just still learning some sight words and she's well aware of that. Um, from time to time, and I can't think of a specific example, so forgive me, but from time to time, she will make a comment that's kind of like, look what I can do and Macy mm-hmm. can't. And we just address that like we do with anyone. Like, yeah, babe, everybody's different. Everyone has different strengths. Yeah. Everyone's really good at different things. And that's something that you're doing really well. That's great. You know, like we're all very different in this world. And so we each need to stand in the role in which we we do best. And that's your role. And you're doing great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely shows up and she's definitely three years younger, but has surpassed Macy in most milestones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm interested too with um, your background in education, how you see that as being an asset for you with your daughters and how you see it as, um, I don't know if weakness is the right, but it's something that kind of complicates how you see them as your kids. Mm, that's good. Um, I think that with Macy, especially because I've, because I have my credentials with special education that I definitely have some tools that have been helpful in parenting her. Um, with truly, I think, I mean, I don't know if all teachers are like this, but I was much better at teaching kids who were not my kids. (laughs) Like I have zero desire to homeschool. (laughs) And I really hope to never homeschool because I think, I think I would last five minutes. Like I respect homeschoolers. I think it's an incredible thing people do. And education is kind of to each his own. Um, but I couldn't do it. I just would be the worst at it. And I think I would be okay with other people's kids, but not my kids. Um, I think that's really normal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And with education, I think that it also my experience or my background bit me back a little bit because I felt that I could do a lot of the, there's things called like IEP meetings um, and hold a lot of Mason's educational plan Mm. because I'm familiar with it on the educator side, but because I am her mom and I'm not her educator, it's very emotionally, it's very emotional for me and very personal. And um, it took me about until second grade to have an advocate come with me to meetings or a friend just to be, a sounding board and to hold it without that emotional piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wish I would have done that from the beginning with my son who also has down syndrome. 
I had an advocate in his first IEP meeting and I will have one for every meeting because I recognize it doesn't matter that I have that background. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're my kids. They're not my students. And so it changes the way in which I go about their education. Yeah. I mean, it, what comes to mind for me as a, as a personal, you know, mirror of that is that, you know, when you're a birth worker, whether you're a midwife or doula or whatever, that doesn't mean that when you birth your own child, that you, (laughs) you know, that you know exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you really still, you still need the support. You still need the advocacy. You still need the, you know, the, the reflection back to you of, of, you know, how you are doing and how, and that you can do this and that, you know, these are your options and that you are a real person in this real moment. You know, you still need all of that. And I think that's true just in motherhood in general. Like I, you know, I think there are all, there are always strengths that we have that, um, that we carry with us in the world that sometimes really seem to, I often, it often makes me feel really inadequate that things that I perceive and I'm even, you know, perceived by others as being really good at that. I fail to, to really translate that to being a mother sometimes. And I think it's just, like you said, it's so incredibly complicated and emotional to be a mother. Like there's no, there's no other role we have that our identities are so incredibly wrapped up in and where the stakes feel so high. I mean, there's no career, there's no, Mm -hmm. there's no personal interest. There's no other relationship you have where the stakes feel so, 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 so high just in terms of your like, your responsibility and like how you show up. And so it's just, it's not something that you can, we can't like reduce it to, to something as complicated and simple as experience, you know? Definitely. Yeah. So true. All of that. Amen to all that. Yeah. So I'm curious, this is a little bit of a random question, but, you know, with that background and then now with raising your children, you know, something that I see quite a bit of in the, um, you know, motherhood community around, you know, around this, you know, around stories similar to yours is that I'm seeing sort of this movement away from the term special needs and criticism of the term special needs. And so I have to hear your, your take on that. Yes. Um, terminology is very fluid, Mm -hmm. right? That's things that were okay to say 20 years ago are not okay to say now, 20 years from now, it's not okay. And I think some people get all up in arms and irritated by that. And I'm just like, go with it guys. (laughs) Um, so I use the term different abilities Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the term of the day that works for me that we all have different abilities. My kids have different abilities. Um, and I don't, I'm very big on people first language. So we wouldn't say a down syndrome child. You would say a child with down syndrome. Mm. And, and, but at the same time, there are people with different abilities who are advocating for themselves, who prefer to be called a disabled person. Um, or a lot of people in the autism world, not all, but a lot say my kid is autistic, not my kid has autism. Mm. Um, self-advocates I've seen in the autism world say the same thing. Like I'm autistic. I don't have autism. And, and so there, my whole thing with all of that is, um, to be mindful and respectful. I think that you're always going to be safe using person first language. And then when somebody with a disability says, Hey, I want, I want to be referred to as disabled, Mm -hmm. respecting that, you know, like they get to decide it's their, it's them. They represent themselves and the larger community. And then in 10 years, if, different abilities is offensive, then roll with it. You know, like don't get offended that it's now offensive. Um, You're dealing with 
but always, but always look to the people with whom the language yeah, is for, yeah. you know, like listen to them. And the thing with the people, with the, dis- the different ability population is oftentimes we, we view them, we being like the general public view them as, um, as voiceless, but they're not voiceless. We just aren't trained to hear their voice or ma- yeah. we haven't made space to hear their voice. And so if we make that space and listen and really figure out like what do you want? Like, where do you want to be in the world? How do you Mm. want to be redressed? What, yeah. What are your desires and needs? Um, I know for me as an advocate for this population, that's something I've really had to learn that there, I'm not dealing with a voiceless group of people. I'm dealing with people who very much have a voice and opinions. We just have to learn how to hear them. Right. Wow. I'm like, (laughs) I'm sitting here with my eyes closed and just absorbing that. I just think it's, it's so powerful. And you know, this, this will be brand new for some people listening and for others, it really won't. But I think that the way you articulate it is so beautiful. I even, I even love just the, the message of, you know, your book and, you know, um, Heather has a really wonderful Instagram account and, you know, her, her tagline is like the lucky few. And I, I love that because it's, it's really, it really moves away from this language of, um, focusing on the disadvantage or the, you know, the lack, but really focusing on like the incredible, the incredible gift and the, and the ability. And it's, it's mm, just such a yeah. different perspective, you know? Well, thanks. Yeah. My kids have definitely given me that they've shifted my perspective yeah. drastically showing me a new lens in which to view yeah. the world. Mm, I love it. So tell us a little bit more about, yeah. about your book and kind of what, that has launched you into, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, you kind of, this experience led you to writing the book and then that sort of launched this career. So tell us a little bit more about what that looks like and what advocacy looks like at this point for you. Yeah. So the, we didn't talk about yet my son and I have a third yes. kid who also has down syndrome. So, um, so then we're, we're just like really in it <laughs> and, and um, we've shared on Instagram, we have an Instagram account called Macy makes my day and we've been sharing a picture a day for quite a while. And so a publisher followed us on Instagram and reached out and asked if I'd ever want to write a book. And so I said, sure, that sounds fun. <laughs> and I Was did it. it. Fun? I wrote a book. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> sometimes um, it's, it was an honor and it's hard, hard work. Um, and I recognize that there are people who have been looking, who are sitting on incredible manuscripts waiting for a publisher or searching for a publisher to publish them. So I'm very honored that I got to fall into that so easily. Um, but it's definitely opened up a whole world of opportunity to get to talk about the things I'm passionate about. And, um, in terms of my role as advocate, I, I like to use the term, uh, Mm -hmm. shouter of worth. And so I like to say that I have, I step on stages and even on just social media platforms and, um, write in magazines or whatever it is I'm writing about that I get to use my voice to shout the worth of my kids, all three of them who find themselves on the fringes often, or who find themselves, um, as viewed as less than simply because they have down syndrome or the color of their skin and just get to say, no way they are as worthy as any other person. Um, and, and then to say, Hey, look guys, we also live in a world where there are systems in place that don't work for them. And we have got to make a shift in that we have got to be a more inclusive world. We've got to look at the systems that aren't working and we've got to figure out how do we Mm -hmm. scoot over and make room um, for people 
like people who have down syndrome or other different abilities to come in to the system, come in as they are. I think there's often like, well, well, they're going to do speech therapy and they're going to do behavioral therapy and all these different things. And once they've done Mm -hmm. that, then they're welcome. It's like, no, no, no. Of course, like all of us and like all of our kids, we're going to be working on our, to better ourselves always. So yes, but we're not going to hold them back in that process. Right. Yeah, exactly. And putting terms and limits on them. Like you can only be Mm -hmm. here if you are this way. Um, But unfortunately that's what the majority, if not all systems in place are like. So it's a constant battle of um, trying to figure out how to get my kids to, to, I don't want them to fit in, but to be accepted um, and to be included to create a world that is fully inclusive mm-hmm. for all people. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. No, I think that is so beautiful. And I, I think, you know, even just when I was reading through about you, when we decided to have you on the podcast. I was like, I hope that women and, you know, I guess we have some men listeners. <laughs> like eight. <laughs> uh, like eight. <laughs> thank, thank you guys. Um, that listen to this you know, maybe are challenged by things that you say, encouraged by things that you say, but also inspired by your story. Because I think, you know, and I have some experience working with um, individuals with different abilities. And I've always thought in my heart, you know, in my faith brain, I thought like, is this my way of being prepared for the kind of child that God might Hmm. give me? Or is this just to make me a better human being? And Um, Mm -hmm. I hope that our listeners today would be inspired to do both, perhaps to be prepared and open to um, (laughs) being a mom of someone with different abilities, or also just to be inspired to be a better human being to those moms that they encounter. Um, And I think everything that you've said has really just directed women to ask each other questions Mm -hmm. and to really be open, like you said, to open and hold space for different motherhood journeys, different childhood journeys that their kids might be on. And I think that that is just, that is just so important in the world that we live in that you teach your children to have that same openness. And so I think, you know, the amount of vulnerability and the amount of work you're putting into showing your beautiful children to this world is very inspiring to all of those things for me. And I hope it is that for our community as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. That was very kind. Yeah. Well, I'm with her on that. So Heather, tell us where our listeners can find you. We'll share links to everything in the show notes of the blog as well. But if you want to just let us know, you mentioned your Instagram account, Macy Makes My Day. Um, How about website, uh, where to find your book, any of that stuff? Yeah. So we are theluckyfew.com and heatheravis.com it's the same thing it's like being it's gonna just be luckyfew.com anyways that's a side note and then um i actually have a podcast coming out march 21st um about being the lucky few about down syndrome and so that comes out next or on march 21st or will already be out when this is out and it's called the lucky few podcast um on instagram i am macy makes my day and i also have another one that's heather avis and on facebook lucky few podcast lucky few Heather Avis, so many, so many, so many options. Okay, well, we'll share we'll <laughs> share links in the show notes so people can easily connect with whatever makes the most sense for them. And yes, by the time we air this, your podcast will be out, so we will make sure to share that as well. That's exciting. Cool. Yeah, we're excited. Awesome. Thanks so much, Heather. It's been incredible chatting with you, and we can't wait to share this conversation with our listeners. I'm so glad to get to be on here. Thanks, and I love what you guys are doing. So keep it up. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Lara and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.